Jour and Bienvenue to Battle Royale, where we are passing judgment on all the kings and emperors of France from Clovis to Napoleon III. Who will be selected as the creme de la creme and who will be sent to the guillotine? Je m'appelle Ben Clark. And I'm Eliza Summers. And we're doing Anne of Brittany today. Sorry, there was a bug. Are you right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) A bug that flew by. That's why I did the weird hand movements. It was the spirit of Anne. (laughs) Well, in the form of a bloody fruit fly. Yeah. Um, it was the it was the yokai of Anne <laughs> coming to haunt you. So, Eliza, originally yeah. this was just yeah. going to be a sweet little in betweeny episode, which is just, just like a just like thing? a quick, <laughs> just like a quick <laughs> brief little detour into Britain before <laughs> we get back to the main narrative. But I now sit before you with a nine thousand word document. <laughs> Could nice. possibly fit into a single episode. So. We're going to divide it up, just like we divided up her husband, Charles. (laughs) Um, That makes it sound like we chopped him up. I could have simplified things. I could have cut it down, but I... Could have kept her whole. I promised that I'd give a bit more detail to, like, the, like, Brittany and, like, the the situation that's going on there. Yeah. Um, So I will be doing that a, a little bit. Still That's not fun. as much detail as I wanted to, to do in this episode, <laughs> um, but it just ended up being too long. It's okay. Rex Factor, they do, like, exactly an hour-long episode for, like, every single king. And I'm like, yeah. how? How do they do do edit that? it? They probably cut out all the fluff. They do cut out fluff, fluff and they put it in their, like, Patreon, like, yeah. special episodes. But I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to, like, separate and the fluff the, from the And our fluff. viewers like our fluff. They're like our, my... I love how you still call them the viewers, even though they cannot viewers, see Viewers, sorry, it. listeners. <laughs> I don't know what, it's just automatically ingrained. You do it all the time, it's really funny. Uh, <laughs> they, our listeners don't care. I'm sure they're happy about it. They know it's an Elizaism. Yeah. So yeah, we're, we're starting to, we're starting to have more two-parters. Um... Partly because, like, I don't want our episodes to, to run as long as they have in the past. A two-hour episode, that looks kind of intimidating to, like, especially a new listener. Yeah. Like, particularly our Regency of Madness episodes, they like they were, like, two-plus hours long, and I was like, this is this is just too much. Um, mm. Also, the way that podcast hosting works, uh, just so the listener has a little behind-the-scenes insight... Um, yeah. You get like a set number of hours that you can upload each month. And if you're uploading like a three hour episode, because we, we, our current plan is like about three hours a month, yeah. um, which is good if you're doing like a, an hour to an hour and a half episode every like two weeks. Yeah. But if you're putting up like a three hour episode, that's like your whole month. And then you have to yeah. pay extra to do more. So it's like, yeah, um, yeah. that's why. That's why we're doing more two yeah. Um Also, I think it, it just lets the episodes breathe a bit more. I think. Yeah. I'm le- I'm stressing a bit less about time, like during the episode. Yeah. So, without further ado, we're going to get into Anne of Brittany. But before we get into Anne, we have to get into Brittany, which is a region that we've maybe neglected a bit on the podcast. Do we get an etymology of the name? Yes, we do. I'll get yes. into it. So. Love but first, Eliza, can you tell me yeah. where Brittany is? Somewhere next to France. <laughs> well, it's in modern day France. Yeah, um, back then it's not. But what, if you were looking at a map, what side of the map is it? Coastal? Yes, it's coastal, indeed. Oh, good. Okay. It's actually a peninsula, so it's got coast on three sides. <sighs> It's the bit that sort of sticks out into the Atlantic. So it's oh. so it's like the, the far northwest. Yeah, I was thinking of the right place. I don't know why. Every time I imagine France, I don't know why in my brain, it kind of flip it upside down for some reason. No idea why. <laughs> like in terms of like, concerning. if you ask me, oh, like, where is this place in France? I will make the, oh, it's southwest. And I'm like, no, it's actually northeast. <laughs> I don't know why. Well, France is the only country I do that with. I have no idea why. <laughs> well, um, 
I will also be putting a map on the WordPress for listeners who want to see where Brittany is. Um, but, you know, you can also Google it. Uh, but, yeah, Brittany is is the bit that goes up and, like, sort of juts out into the Atlantic, yeah. tries to sort of kiss by the bottom of England. England a little bit. Yeah. But it's more it's more pointing sort of in the direction of Ireland, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, speaking of Ireland... Uh, Brittany yes. was and is to this day the last remaining part of France to have a surviving Celtic language and culture, oh, cool. which makes them cousins of the Irish, I guess. Um, nice. Although they're a lot more similar to Welsh. They're more part of that sort of family. Ah, uh, yeah. In fact, I've got a friend who's a Welsh speaker and he says he can kind of actually understand cool. the Breton language. So originally Brittany was a Gaulish regent called Armorica. Well, I like that. Not to be confused with America, which apparently is a bit further west. Um, I did not and... even think of America when you said Armorica. <laughs> I thought of harmonicas. Yes, yes, but yes, Armorica. Armorica. So this is what the Romans called it, because, you know, the Romans were the first to sort of write stuff down about this region, or at least stuff we have survived. But there are actually many Celts from Britain as well who migrated yes. here during the Anglo-Saxon migration. So the Anglo-Saxons migrate into England. They push a lot of the Celts into Wales, Cornwall. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And some of them just fully leave and go to Brittany. Yeah, as well. Brittany is a bit more of like a, a haven because it's Pleasant very weather. kind of... I mean, it's okay. <laughs> it's, it's definitely... Step up. Uh, in, in, in France terms, it's definitely, you know... Because it's further north, it's it's more rainy, it's more cold than the rest of France, especially because it's exposed to the sea on so many sides. But it's sort of it's rocky, it's very forested, it's it's easy to defend. So nice. that's why a lot of Celts sort of take refuge here. Well, they were to hold off for so long too. Yeah. So as a result of all of these Celtic Britons yep. migrating here, and uh, they when they when they migrate over, the Britons become Bretons, um, <laughs> as their um, their accent shifts a bit. <laughs> the peninsula ends up name ends up changing from Armorica to Brittany, oh. which literally is just means Britain. <laughs> <laughs> and the Bretons do this with a lot of places that they found in Brittany. They they named them after places that they were familiar with from back home. So many countries do that when they colonize or take Yeah, over it's a, a place. very common human thing to do. Thing. It's not because people are necessarily not creative. It's it's more just, you know, they're homesick. But there's a region of Brittany called Conway, which is literally just Cornwall. So historians uh, sometimes refer to Brittany as sort of mini Britain or, or little Britain. Oh my god, little Britain! Oh, yes. Good TV show. Good TV show. Although the TV show, you know, it makes no sense because not a single scene is set in France. <laughs> it should be in true, France. True. <laughs> and uh, that's why in French, Britain ends up being called Grande Britannia. Oh, Great Britain. So Brittany is the same in French. It's Bretagne. But then the French end up having to clarify and calling actual Britain <laughs> Grande Britannia. And this is where we get the term Great Britain. Cool. That's why Great Britain's called Great Britain. It's not because no. it's great. It's because it's just the bigger one. <laughs> I just thought because it was combining countries. Well, yeah, when they eventually do, they eventually combine England and Scotland into one unified country. They call it Great Britain. But it's called Great Britain before that. And it comes from French. Yeah, that's interesting, though. Legend has it that the monarchy of Brittany was founded by Conan Meriadoc, who hmm. is an Arthurian sort of legendary figure who sort of nice. led his people, like Moses, across the water from Cornwall to escape, <laughs> the evil, to escape the evil Saxons in England. In reality, we know that the migration was far a far more gradual process, um, took place over the course of the 5th and 6th centuries, so very sort of early Merovingian sort of Clovis days. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't get a definitively real king of a united Brittany until the fabulously named Arispoe in the ninth century. Arispoe, Arispoe. <laughs> who gets murdered by his cousin Salomon, who are also the great king, uh, oh, who's an evil, evil wizard. Uh, yeah, so, 
Originally, I had like an extra thousand words here, getting like really into Breton history, but we we need to get to Anne. So skipping forward a little, the Duchy of Brittany ends up sort of bouncing between a few different houses. There's the Counts of Nantes, Rennes, Conway, and mm. Pontiev. Um, sort okay. of like flip-flops between them. And mm. uh, one example of this happening is with Conan I of Rennes, who seized yeah. the throne from the squabbling sons of the previous duke in order to unite the Bretons and fend off a Norman invasion. Uh. So this is in the 10th century. So so basically, we the instant one house became weak, the next house would simply seize yeah. the throne. Makes sense. Basic sort of warrior society stuff. There's no room for a do-nothing king in, in Brittany. The weak shuffle. Yeah, which makes it quite different from... Um, the Franks, who yeah. kind of... They're like, yeah, hey, you're weak, whatever. Well, the, yeah, the Franks have this idea of kind of like the sanctity of kings. Well, I think they also have the idea of, ooh, king's useless? That means my time to shine! Yes, exactly, yeah. Whereas, yeah, the Bretons are a bit more, I guess, practical, maybe? I'll just take over. These sort of less strictly dis- defined succession laws also ended up making female succession more of a viable option. Whee! So in the 12th century, the House of Pontievre ends with Constance of Brittany, who ends up getting sort of kidnapped uh, and married to Geoffrey Plantagenet, the son of Henry II of England and Eleanor Aquitaine, one of their sons. Mm. He's sort of the son that often gets forgotten about, who's like between Richard the Lionheart and and King John. The unwanted middle child. Yes, and he dies falling off his horse in Paris. (laughs) So... Uh, but before that, he's married to Constance of Brittany. He becomes the Duke of Brittany through her. But Plantagenet rule in Brittany is short-lived because King John imprisoned mm. and, and, and maybe murdered his nephew, Arthur of Brittany, who's their son. Oh. So the duchy then passes to Arthur's half-sister, Alix, who's Constance's mm. daughter by a subsequent husband. And then Alix marries Peter of Dreux, who's a cousin of the King of France. So Brittany's now more... On the French side. This begins the house that Anne of Brittany is eventually born into, the ah, house of Dreux. 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 <laughs> yeah. Dreux is a castle just to the west of Paris. Oh, So nice. it's sort of between Paris and Brittany. Peter was like the Count of Dreux. So Anne is actually a Capetian. Um, oh. Just like the kings of France. She's She has Hugh Capet as her direct male line ancestor. Oh. But skipping forward again, the Hundred Years' War between England and France, also coincided with the Breton War of Succession. So it's extra chaotic uh, in Brittany. This was fought between cousins of the House of Dreux. We don't have time to get into it. (laughs) But the English basically, they used this for it. Like, they they took advantage of this and put troops in Brittany and that really um, annoyed France. (laughs) We covered a bit of that in Philip VI episode. But if if listeners want to learn more past podcast, Veronica, past has a whole episode about the Breton War of Succession, so go listen to that. By the time of Charles V, however, Brittany is mostly on the French side, and in fact it provided France with some of its best generals. So there were several marshals of France who were from Brittany and did quite well. There's Bertrand de Guéclin, there's Olivier de Clisson, and there's Arthur de Richemont. They're all from Brittany. Nice. Yeah. The last one, Richemont, was actually a younger son of Duke John the Fourth, who was the longest oh. reigning Duke of Brittany. Oh. Um, How long did he reign for? About thirty-five years. Oh, nice. And Richemont himself became Duke mm-hmm. when his brother and all of his nephews died. Um, of course. Uh, he was like one of the last male members of the family, so he became Duke Arthur the Third very briefly. He he died very shortly after. Um, and mm. then he passed the title to his great nephew, Francis II. Oh, okay. And this is Anne of Brittany's father, is oh, Francis okay. II. Uh, and he's the last male in the dynasty. So that is the tangent about <laughs> Brittany's history, mm. but we've arrived. So let's let's Yay. finally get to Anne of Brittany's birth. Yes. She was born in the Ducal Palace of Nantes in the wee hours of the 26th of January, 1477. Wow, we even have rough time. Yeah, she was born between uh, 5 and 6 a.m. We finally have an exact birth date for a girl. 
which is pretty nice. significant. Moving up in the world. To put this in context of French history, Anne's born about six years before the death of Louis the Eleventh, okay. um, and her future husband Charles the Eighth is seven years old when she's born. Oh, that's not too bad. Yeah. So Anne's mother, the Duchess, was Margaret of Foix. She was an Occitan. She was the daughter of Gaston the Fourth of Foix, a lord in Gascony, oh. and her mother was Queen Eleanor of Navarre. Oh. Eleanor served as regent of Navarre for ages, but she was queen for like the last three weeks of her life. Oh, wow. Um, before nice. she passed it to then one of her grandchildren. Yeah. Um, so, so Navarre just narrowly has a Queen Eleanor. <laughs> Meanwhile, Anne's grandmother on her father's side, Margaret of Orleans, uh, was a sister of Charles the Poet. Oh. Yeah. Connections. So we've got connections. Everyone's related, as usual. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Are you even in a member of the royal family if you don't aren't related to everyone? Well, uh, by definition, no. <laughs> you can't be a member of the royal family if you're not related to anyone. Exactly. So Anne's father, Francis, at this point, was about three years into his marriage with Margaret of Foix. And while he'd had scores of uh, illegitimate children, in- including five kids with Antoinette de Manuelet, um, hmm. He'd also had a, a first marriage, which had had no children at all. Oh, wow. Antoinette de Manuelet, by the way, she's got a mistress episode mm-hmm. on Patreon. She's not only the former mistress of Charles VII, okay. she's also Louis XI's spy. So she's very interesting. So and uh, episode out. Yeah. So, but anyway, uh, so the Bretons, at this point, by the time Anne was born, they'd started to think that God was punishing their duke for, <laughs> you know, consorting with these fallen women like Antoinette. And mistreating <laughs> his his wives, so yeah. even though Francis II had quite a long reign, like his grandfather John the Fourth, he also reigns for about thirty years. Hmm. Over th- over thirty years, his nobles spent most of that time sort of fretting and fighting over who would succeed um, in Brittany because it was it was not clear at all. Yeah, but Francis II. He was no Henry VIII. In spite of the pressure that surrounded Anne's birth, he didn't show any resentment that she was a girl. Yay! So when dawn broke uh, on the morning of her birth, Francis is said to have carried the newborn to the roof of the palace and sort of raised her up like Simba. Yeah, I was about to say. To the cheering people like, of Nantes. Well, be yeah. like, this all the light that touches is this. Whatever the thing yeah, is. and this is just as the sun is rising as well, because she's born just before dawn. That is the best. Now, sadly, a couple years later, Anne's mother died. Oh. She just managed to have two daughters, so she's got Anne, and she's got Isabeau as well. We've got another oh. Isabeau. Been a while. Anne's little sister. And uh, they're about a year apart, so they're quite close in age. Yeah, nice. So it's basically Anne's born, Isabeau's born, and then Margaret, Duchess Margaret dies. Oh, Quick succession, yeah. After this, the Duke made his lords swear an oath to uphold Anne's rights as his legal heir. So he does one of those. Uh, oh my god, it's like game. It's like House of the Dragon, but unlike House of the Dragon, they honor it's it. Very Rhaenyra, but they actually honor it. Hopefully, but they actually yes, they 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 do actually honor it. To be honest, um, the the oath in House of the Dragon is is based on the oath that Henry the First of England made with his daughter Matilda, which the Lords of England then sort of betrayed and they went with Stephen instead. But Anne, luckily in her life, doesn't have a Stephen. So, like, there's no other alternative. Like, she's the only one. She does have a bastard brother who, like, kicks up a bit of a fuss, but he's never really considered a contender for the... Yeah. (laughs) She just comes like... (laughs) So, Duke Francis, by all accounts, was a really good father. Yeah. In stark contrast to his contemporary Louis XI, who was at best, aloof as a dad. Francis sort of integrated his daughters into his household. He got them involved in politics from a very young age. Nice. And he rarely moved his court without bringing them along with him. Oh, nice. And this court, unfortunately, had to move around quite a lot because they were often avoiding the armies of rebels and uh, <laughs> and French invaders. <laughs> so Francis of Brittany, he was no stranger to conflict with the kings of France. He'd previously teamed up with the royal princes to rebel against Louis XI, to uh, thwart his efforts to reform the kingdom and take away their privileges. 
and this is the the war of the public wheel. Back in the day, they really gave good war names. Like these days, we just say the country where the war happened. Yeah, names. yeah, good creative war names because calling it the fifteenth French Civil War or something doesn't have the same ring to it. Yeah, they really should bring that back though. Yeah. Giving cool war names. Not that I support war. <laughs> I think we should just stop wars. And, uh, yeah, but like, I mean, like, so saying, like, you know, the if Vietnam you're gonna war, have a war, you may as well call it a cool name. <laughs> yeah, like instead of just a Vietnam War, give it something else. I don't know what because I'm not smart yeah. enough to think of that. So yeah, so even though the war with the public wheel is not really successful, Francis at least keeps Britney's sovereignty. But things severely deteriorated, though, around the time Anne was born, because Francis started showing signs of mental illness. Um, oh. his, historians have speculated he might have had early-onset dementia. Oh, I one time had to do work at an um, old person's home, and they had the dementia ward, and there was, like, a 35-year-old with dementia. It was so hard. Yeah. He was the nicest guy. Yeah. And Francis is about that age. He's sort of not quite 40 at this point. Mm. So, taking advantage of the situation, the Duke's corrupt counsellors vied for power in a series of increasingly violent coups. And the Breton nobility is very much split between supporters of the King of France and supporters of just independence, basically. Yeah. Um, so things escalate further when the rebellious Duke Louis of Orléans mm. flees to Francis's court. Uh, so Francis was more than happy to harbour Louis as they were close friends. They were also first cousins, because his mother is Margaret of Orléans. Yeah. But Louis was a wanted fugitive. So mm. by harbouring him, Francis got on the wrong side of Louis's rival, Anne of France. Mm. And this led to Francis' latest civil war, the Mad War. Oh, uh, yeah. Yep, yep. Another well-named war. I know. So Anne of France who I started calling Madame Legrand so that she won't get confused um, with Anne of Brittany, because that's what she was called in her time. Uh, Madame Legrand, Louis XI's daughter, who's at this point the regent on behalf of her little brother, Charles VIII. She sent an army into Brittany to apprehend Orléans, who had been plotting against her and trying to take over the regency. So she sent in the troops, led by the Marshal of France, Georges de la Cremoye, And uh, the history books also give Charles the credit uh, because he was technically there. Uh, mm. But but it was really Tremway actually giving the orders because Charles is still just a teenager. Yeah. So in 1488, Tremway won a great victory at the Battle of Saint-Aubain-de-Cormier against Brittany's mm. Marshal Jean de Ria, um, nice. which firmly established a French presence in Brittany and saw the capture of Louis, the, Louis of Orléans. Orléans then spent the next couple of years in prison before being sort of eventually reconciled with the French royal family and released. Yeah. But uh, following this defeat, the pro-French faction that had taken over Francis mm-hmm. of Brittany's court, they forced him to sign a humiliating treaty, the Treaty of Le Verger, where he promised to be a good little vassal to the King of France, basically. Okay. Um, Francis then promptly died. Uh, <laughs> And, of shame uh, well you won't be surprised to learn uh, he died from falling off his horse uh, oh of course i feel as though we should start keeping a score of everyone who f- dies from a horse related accident like tally Eliza, that there up. are like there are like four horse related deaths i'm gonna mention this episode i've already mentioned exactly Jeffrey. i I've really want to ta- i really really think we should test or someone should tell it's it extremely up. common <laughs> i know exactly just how we can be like, okay they all died of this disease, but 50 people died of horse. So many people died of horse. At the end of the series, we're going to have a, a definitive tally of, of the King of France who, who die of horse-related deaths, and it's not a small number. Um, I love that. I'm <laughs> so, just going to say for now, died of horse, not even horse accident, just died of horse. So so Anne and Isabeau are now yeah. helpless orphans with this huge Aww. inheritance. Very reminiscent of Eleanor of Aquitaine and her sister, hmm. who, if you remember, were also taken yeah. under the, quote, protection of the King of France <laughs> uh, in their time. And it very much looks like this might happen to uh, the Brittany sisters. But following the death of Duke Francis and the accession of Duchess Anne, uh, mm-hmm. there's another power shift at the Breton court. 
and the government yeah. is taken over by the marshal, Jean de Ria. And Ria and his council are determined to fight to the bitter end, basically. However, Anne isn't just a puppet necessarily. Um, yeah. Despite being not yet even 12 years old, she yeah. was remarkably intelligent and politically nice. aware for her age. Nice. So the chaos surrounding Anne during her childhood didn't stop her from being nurtured and giving uh, her the best education that money could buy. Yay. So she's not necessarily a genius, but she's just she's just very well educated. Yeah, she had the resources. Yes. So even as a child, she could write eloquently in both French and Latin. Nice. French being the language of politics, Latin being the language of the church and spirituality. She also studied a bit of Greek, and based on what was later found in her library, it appears she might have known some Italian and Hebrew as well. Oh, wow. I wish I had that ability. So if you're counting, that's five languages for (laughs) for Anne. Conspicuously, she doesn't speak Breton. Breton is the language of the the common folk. Peasants. So if you want to speak to the Duchess, you have to speak to her in French. Or Latin. Uh, So... peasant. Despite the early loss of her mother, Anne also had a strong female role model in the form of Françoise de Dinan, who was also, mm-hmm. who was considered a very, uh, who was this elderly widow who was considered a very um, uh, sort of strong woman at the nice. Breton court. She was she was looked to as an advisor, um, and cool. she's part of this council with Ria oh, cool. advi- advising Anne. Yeah, it's nice to see a lady advisor. Anne's innocence and beauty has often been exaggerated, I think. So is her intelligence as well. But, you know, to give her a bit of a description of her, uh, according to descriptions from the era and portraits, mm-hmm. she had this very sort of round, sort of mouse-like face uh, with uh, little beady eyes, and she was slightly plump. But that Doesn't was fashionable at the time. Very flattering. Beady eyes. And a mouse-like like face. Little, she had these little mousy eyes. Um, you she had a round face, I said. Well, I thought you yeah. said a mouth-like face. I said mouse-like. Oh, I thought you said mouth, like a mouth. And I was like, what she the looks... F is a mouth? I was thinking like M-O-U-T-H. I was going, what no. the F is a mouth face? She's... <laughs> I was like, that ugly? Oh. I think it's yeah. I think it's very flat, flattering to have a mouth, mouth on your face. I think that's exactly where it should be. Uh, so, <laughs> no, she's kind of like a mouse. She's a little mouse. She's like, oh, she's cute. very small. She's very short, uh, even for her petite age. Thing. A little, very petite thing. Also, due to some genetic mishap, maybe it's all the inbreeding, she had been born with a crooked hip. So one of her oh. legs appeared slightly shorter than the other. Ah, uh, so um, she walked with a little limp. She walked with a limp, uh, a big limp, actually. She had special shoes made for her. Uh, where oh. she had like one sort of higher heel, heel. Um, oh. so she could walk normally in that. Oh. Also helps that you know if you've got a big skirt, you can kind of hide that. Um, yeah, if you've got the money, you can hide it. So along with Anne's sort of academic aptitude, she was also meant mm-hmm. to have a quote subtle wit. So I imagine her as the kind of person who seems very like soft spoken and sort of oh, shy, yeah. but inwardly is very strong and confident and has yeah. very strong opinions. Well, like once you get to know her, kind of thing. Exactly. I feel like that's a very like Celtic kind of trait. Actually, um, I know a lot of like Scottish women who are, they seem kind of quiet and demure, but then you sort of get to know them, and it's like, oh, she's sort of fiery on the inside, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so now, obviously, because Anne is a whopping eleven years old, she's basically a woman. So who's she going to get married to? Uh, that's the question on everyone's who. lips. And the Bretons needed to marry her to the strongest ally they could find to counteract the might of the French army, because they're still resisting the French at this point. Yeah. Initially, Anne's father had betrothed her to Edward V of England. Um, he was one of the princes of the, in the tower, so <laughs> let's just no. say that betrothal didn't last very long. Didn't, yeah, that didn't happen. Um, after that, Henry Tudor tried to seek her hand while he was spending a bit of time at the Breton court. Um, But Francis had refused him because he wasn't yet King Henry VII. And when he became King Henry VII, he married Elizabeth of York to, like, kind of fix the Wars of the Roses situation. The Duke of Orléans, while he was visiting the Breton court, also was a kind of suitor for Anne, even though he was technally already married. (laughs) Uh, We'll we'll come back to that. 
<laughs> yeah. But of Anne's many suitors, the most enticing ended up being the Holy Roman Emperor's son, yes. uh, Maximilian von Habsburg. Oh, yes. He's your cousin. Yeah, but he's my first cousin. Right. So you have your cousins, and then you have your first cousins, and then you have your second cousins. No, honey. His official title was King of the Romans, um, which is what you call <laughs> the heir of the Holy Roman Empire. Um, although his main base of power, to make this even more confusing, was Flanders, uh, yeah. which he kind of ruled alongside his wife, Mary the Rich, who also died falling off horse. um and so now maximilian is basically ruling flanders and the netherlands on behalf of his young son philip yeah philip who will go on to marry joanna the mad of spain yes so understandably the french weren't terribly keen to let anne of Brittany marry maximilian yeah who had succeeded uh, his father-in-law charles the bald in becoming uh the king of france's biggest rival for power Mm. and by the way was all for marrying Maximilian. And she was by no means a passive sort of participant. Even at this young age, she was personally writing letters to Maximilian, you know, no. saying how how keen she was for them to be married. Uh, and oh. she described uh, the political state of affairs in Brittany to him in, like, a lot of detail. She even described, like, the details of, of battles. What was their age gap? Anne's 11 or 12. Maximilian is in his, in his 30s. <laughs> Yeah, and he's already been married to to um to Mary the Rich. She's just died, but it does seem like sort of Anne was treated as an adult. Her courtiers kind of respected her intelligence, and they yeah they kept her informed and abreast of the situation. Nice, rather than sort of sheltering her and keeping her ignorant. Yeah, nice. So at this point, the French didn't know about the betrothal. It was kept secret. Um, oh understandable so there was a bit of a delay in them reacting to it mm. at this point france and Brittany they have like a truce because of the treaty of la vergere and one yeah. of the terms of this treaty was that anne couldn't marry without the king of france's permission oh so she was doing a little illegal thing by, oh. by flirting with maximilian by the way um also at this time sadly isabeau dies as little sister oh so yeah, she she falls ill and dies. Thankfully, not oh. horse related. Um, so Anne is now one hundred percent the last heir left for Brittany. Wow. Maximilian, meanwhile, uh, snuck four of his diplomats into Brittany, and mm-hmm. they conducted the proxy marriage between him and Anne. Uh, yeah. So they were basically they were, they were these four men who were basically like the standards for Maximilian. And the contract was signed on the nineteenth of December, fourteen ninety. And only after this did Anne make the marriage public by starting to sign her letters as quote queen of the romans oh. so the french received this letter and they're like France was- she's the what <laughs> i'm not pleased not happy Anne. uh <laughs> that's a reference to an old uh, uh yellow pages ad in australia nice. uh, <laughs> so both the bretons and the Habsburgs were a bit overconfident uh, confident about the situation though yeah. Maximilian did try to invade France from the east to sort of draw the French army away from Brittany, but his army ran out of steam in Picardy, and he had to go back <laughs> home to deal with an, another war that the, the Holy Roman Empire was fighting in Hungary. Huh. So it's the drawback of having a big empire. You've got a lot of wars going on. Yeah. Um, a lot of people rebelling. There was a, a triple alliance forming at this point, uh, as we know, between the Empire, yeah. Spain, and England. England. And this is part of why the French are freaked out about this marriage. Because yeah. Now Brit- Brittany's also going to be part of this. They're like, hell no, that can't happen. But the other allies, they were just as useless as Maximilian. <laughs> Henry VII of England, he still was a bit unstable. He was trying to finish up the Wars of the Roses. Um, Isabel and Ferdinand in Spain were in the middle of the war with Granada that would finally finish the Reconquista against the Spanish Muslims. It's all just very bad timing. Bad timing for them. Good timing for France. Good timing for France. Yes. Bad timing for everyone else involved, Um, (laughs) including including Anne. So while she is sent some troops and money from her allies, it's not nearly enough to stop the French from just marching in and capturing the city of Rennes. 
and with it, the young Duchess who's residing inside. So Anne, now at the age of the grand old age of thirteen, uh, oh, wow. she was given an ultimatum: well, marry or die. Well, no, the death is never the option. So I know. she's given the choice of going and joining Maximilian in Flanders, leaving Brittany, and never to um, return. Never to return. France takes over Brittany. You've you've lost Brittany, basically. Or she could renounce the marriage, keep her duchy, and marry King Charles VIII instead. Mm. And to sweeten the deal, the French also promised Anne a huge pension, um, nice. which was considered lavish even for a queen. Nice. So at the end, Anne's advisors advised her <laughs> to, to, France. Uh, to go with France, to, to, to uh, pick the lesser of the two evils. Yeah, well, like, why would Maximilian even want her if she didn't have Brittany, I guess, so. Well, yeah, this is the thing. Yeah, it would create problems, definitely. Um, Although I imagine Maximilian would probably have been fighting to get it back. Yeah, but he's busy with other wars. But yeah, Anne chooses to renounce the marriage. The uh, French Council of State rules that the marriage was illegal since it was made without the King of France's permission. And, you know, the deal had been that the Bretons couldn't yeah. do that. There's this horrible, humiliating moment where Anne is actually stripped naked in front of oh. uh, French envoys who are like inspecting her body to make sure she's quote well formed enough mm. to sort of bear fruit, I guess, for France. Oh. Bear in mind, still 13 years old. But uh, one consolation is that one of the lords who who did this, the Count of Dunois, uh, while he was returning to bring news back to the king, that fell on the horse. so that's a little karmic uh consolation there uh and the french considered this a bad omen to start off the marriage with which is quite funny then before anne was uh taken from Brittany, she was officially betrothed to charles in a secret ceremony that took place in the vaults between the jacobin convent in rennes no and uh in the darkness of the vault this would have been the first time that she'd met uh, Charles, who probably looked like this like terrifying monster sort of emerging from the darkness. Uh, because as you remember, Charles is not the the most best uh, the best looking guy. He's 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 got these bug eyes. He's got this hook nose. He's he's a slight hunchback. Uh, he's got this tendency to sort of ogle women with his mouth hanging open. Not the most attractive man. But as we know, Charles often won people over. Uh, eventually, yes. and it does appear that Anne ended up getting one over. Oh. Probably helped that she had no other choice, so she just had kind of had to yeah. deal with it. <laughs> like kind of it or lump to, it. She had to make lemons out of lemonade somehow. Um, so she does end up liking him in the end, but um, it's not the easiest marriage, and uh, yeah. Charles is constantly unfaithful to Anne. Mm-hmm. However, with help from her advisors, Anne manages to negotiate herself a pretty good prenup, considering the circumstances. Nice. So Brittany was to remain a sovereign duchy, separate mm-hmm. from the royal domain. Charles couldn't come in and, like, tax the country or, like, uh, yeah. uh, steal her troops or anything. Charles would also not be considered the Duke of Brittany by right of marriage. Oh. Yeah, so, so Brittany's separate. It's still a vassal of France, but, you know, it's got special rights and privileges. Yeah. It was also agreed that if Anne should have more than one child, the second in line would inherit Brittany. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. So keeping the titles separate. Yeah. Uh, So Anne's goal, and keep this in mind throughout her life, is basically to stop the King of France and the Duke of Brittany from being the same person. Because that means Brittany gets incorporated into the royal domain, completely loses its independence. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's not going to happen under my watch. Exactly. In return, Anne agreed to Charles VIII that if he should die without them having had any children, Anne would marry whoever the successor was, whoever the cousin was, um, to ensure that Brittany remained in the French royal family. So remember that clause, it'll come back later. But the following month, okay. December 1491, Anne arrives in the Loire Valley where she'll spend most of the rest of her life from this point. And she was married to Charles in a dawn ceremony at the Chateau de Langeais. And a couple months later, the dispensation from Pope Innocent VIII arrived, saying the marriage was all good and legit. 
and that Maximilian was a loser who (laughs) wasn't married to Anne, actually. The dispensation would have been required anyway, though, because Anne and Charles VIII were third cousins, which is actually not too bad. (laughs) A a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. True. After this, Anne came to live with Charles in his main residence, the Chateau of Amboise, which gets done up in extravagant style, mainly because of Anne, and mainly according to her tastes. Um, But her large income meant she was also able to afford a more private, secluded residence nearby Mm -hmm. at Clos-Lucet. So the Italian-style villa of Clos-Lucet was a more relaxing place for Anne to go when she was pregnant. Yeah. uh, Because, by the way, she immediately becomes pregnant at the age of 13. um, Which is fun. Not sure if a cute mansion is enough to make up for that, but a little... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to the child herself. It was also helpful to have a place to send the queen, which was just outside of court, because whenever Charles had important business to attend to, he had like an important like secret council or something, uh, the French made sure that Anne was out of earshot because she Ooh. might she was still yes, a bit I... too friendly with the Habsburgs, and yes, they thought she'll be a spy. They didn't trust this this highly intelligent little girl not to blabble their secrets to the Bretons or the Habsburgs. Yeah. Now, speaking of the Habsburgs, in order to marry Anne, Charles VIII had had to renounce his betrothal to Margaret of Austria, Maximilian's daughter, by his first marriage to Mary the Rich. Um, And this was considered a huge scandal at the time. Yeah. Now, because Margaret was preemptively sent to the French court as a toddler, to yeah. be raised there as the future queen. Yeah. Margaret, who was only a, a year or two younger than Anne. Um, oh, wow. As far as I can tell, she's still living in Amboise when Anne arrives. God. So it's this, there's this really awkward overlap period. So not only has poor Margaret's world been like totally shattered by the realization yeah. that this role that she thought she was had for, for her it's entire taken life. Taken away. Taken away. Um, but she's also stuck there for months. With the one who replaced her. Yeah, forced to like bow to her replacement. Yeah. So it's probably humiliating. Um, and the French take ages to send her back because she's a valuable hostage. Yeah. In like the peace negotiations with the Habsburgs. So there's this very awkward period where Anne and Margaret were essentially living together. I can just imagine Anne introducing herself to Margaret like, Hi, I was going to be your stepmother. But now I've stolen your husband, yes. so I'm sorry. <laughs> Wasn't my choice. Uh, <laughs> didn't think things would go this way. Sorry about that. Didn't think you'd still be here. Yeah. So, although Anne had rather pointedly brought two beds with her to court as a, as a show of defiance, <laughs> she nonetheless now enters her baby factory era. Never since it stopped. And her life is now dominated by the meddling of her sister-in-law, Madame Legrand, um, mm. who pretty much dictates every aspect of her life at this at this stage. God, and and this includes supervision of the royal pregnancies. However, the two of them do actually end up becoming friends. They end up having a sort of mutual respect in the end. But oh, you can nice. imagine this early stage. Anne is very intimidated by this this older woman. Yeah. Now, a couple of years later, Charlie Boy decides to to up and leave for his invasion of Italy. <sighs> Just like few a break. One that went uh, extremely well. Until it didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he needs a break to go to Italy, sleep with loads of Italian women. Um, She needs a break from him. Yes, she, well, she's just conceived a child by the time he leaves. So she, she, she gets a break, kind of. She's pregnant for the whole thing. So not only was 16-year-old Anne not trusted at all to govern the kingdom in his absence, she was not even trusted to maintain her own court at Amboise. She had to move south to live with Madame Legrand and her husband, uh, the Duke of Bourbon, in their residence at Moulin. So as we know from the from last episode, Charles VIII went to Italy, trying to conquer, conquer Naples, marched around a bit, got his entire army fe- infected with syphilis, uh, came back to France, losing both Naples and all of his loot on the way home. Yes, he's a bit of a loser. But Charles didn't see it that way. He was like, nah, we're going to go back and we're going to conquer it even harder. And then we're going to go on a 
a crusade against the Turks. It's going to be fabulous. Um, and everyone's like, no. Well, everyone's like, yeah. <laughs> no one is against this, by the way. Everyone's like, yes. Oh, really? And Madame Legrand is like, well, if it means I have another regency, yeah, you go ahead. You do that. Sure. <laughs> so so everyone's supportive of Charles's crazy endeavors. Uh, but as you know, he won't That's get the funny. chance to go back to Italy. Now, in the meantime, despite her lack of autonomy, Anne of Brittany does manage to endear herself to the French court and to the king himself. Nice. As we learned last episode, Anne was pregnant at least six times by Charles, um, so they were doing something, right? Yeah. But most of the children were either stillborn or died within hours or days of being born. Yeah. Um, their longest living child, child, their firstborn, Charles Orlando, uh, lived oh, yeah. uh, two years before catching smallpox. Sad but sad. these losses actually seem to have uh, brought the king and queen together uh, in oh. their grief rather than dri- driven them apart. Yeah. Nice. And in an interesting echo of Anne's father, Francis, Charles likewise considered his lack of legitimate children to be like a punishment from God for his infidelities. Mm. Not the wife's fault. Which is nice to see. Unlike bloody Henry VIII. Yeah. So there's a story of him, like, you know, renouncing his courtesans and, like, vowing to be faithful uh, How long does that uh, last? to Anne. <laughs> and not super long, but... but He tried. But, you know, Anne is in, in his good books, at least. And yeah. they get along really well at Amboise. It, it's really very much... The, the renovation of Amboise is very much a joint effort between them. Um, nice. They both loved hunting, they loved music and dancing, and they both loved tennis. Ah. Uh. Yes. Apparently, when Charles played doubles in tennis, he always picked Anne as his partner, which I Aww, think is really sweet. That's sweet. Yeah. No idea how women were able to play tennis in those dresses, though. Um, mm. So she was a skilled woman. Um, yeah. And with her limp as well. She, yeah. Yeah. So as we saw last episode, Charles's love of tennis is is linked to the tragic accident that caused his death. <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember the accident, Liza? Uh... Or did you too hit your head on a on on a lintel? The lintel. <laughs> oh yeah, the lintel. Is that why you forget what happens in the episodes, Eliza? Do you keep hitting your head on a lintel? Yes, I do. I live in yeah. Japan. It's very small. <laughs> very small doorways <laughs> in Japan. <laughs> so yeah, he hits his head on a lintel. Seems fine for a bit. Goes and watches the entire and then, and match. Then collapses. If you recall, Charles actually collapsed and later died on the floor just outside the Queen's yeah, apartments. Yeah, the corridors. And it's this heartbreaking scene as nobody wants to move the king for fear of hurting him. So Anne stays with him there on the floor for hours and hours Aww. trying to speak to him. But he's either unresponsive or he's mumbling incoherent nonsense. And... Aww. When he finally died, she was completely devastated. So Anne, at this point, just as a refresher, she's lost her parents, she's lost her sister, she's lost her home, she's lost all six children, and now she's lost her husband. And her crown as well. (laughs) She's no longer the queen. Um, And this was all just as they were starting to actually fall in love. So Anne shut herself in her room, she refused to come out for days, she refused to eat, to the point where her servants were concerned that she might starve herself to death Aww. so they called up the new king louis the 12th formerly the rebellious duke of orleans mm-hmm. and he had to literally come into her room and scrape her off the floor fit like physically Aww. but you know he was really nice to her he was yeah. sort of soothed her with like comforting words um they by the way had a had a pretty friendly relationship they were good friends yeah. And she then made it clear to Louis that she wanted to go home to Brittany. Yeah. yeah. And so the silver lining for Anne here is that she's now free. Um, Yay. Because there had been the promise that she made, uh, that she would marry Charles' successor if they didn't have kids, which has now happened. Yeah. But Louis Twelfth is already married. Yeah. To Charles' sister, no less. Yeah. Uh, Joan. So Anne, by all accounts, was off the hook. And uh, like, there was Woo. nothing the French could do to stop her from packing up her household, moving back to Brittany. Saying adios. Saying adios. But uh, Louis XII, however, wasn't about to just let 
Brittany go. So in the week following Charles VIII's death, Anne was staying at Etampes on her way to Paris, where the king's funeral services would last for the next few weeks, because the kings have very extravagant funerals. Um, yeah. And here, Louis XII visited Anne for a second time, and this time he asked for a hand in marriage. But he was married. And he also confessed to her that he, he'd always loved her. <laughs> This, by the way, happened three days after her husband's death. God. Yeah. Insensitive much. So as the Duke of Orleans, Louis had been constantly campaigning to get his marriage with Joan annulled. Yeah. But he'd been either able to do so because she was the king's sister. Uh, But now now that he was the king, you know, the table have turned. (laughs) So (laughs) he was actually, he'd been forced to marry her when she was, uh, well, she'd been forced to accept a betrothal to her when she was just a baby, uh, Joan, yeah. by Louis the Spider King, uh, yeah. who basically, Louis realised that his daughter Joan had this physical deformity, which meant very likely she wouldn't, would not be able to have children, or, you know, Louis of Orléans would be so repulsed by her that, that he wouldn't be able to have children with her. So Louis, very cruelly, I think, to both Louis and Joan, uh, yeah, ends up forcing Orléans to marry Joan. Yeah. So that's the, the backstory of that. <laughs> but now that he's king, Orléans, now Louis XII, was confident that uh, he could get an annulment and Anne could continue her reign as king of France. So everyone wins, right? Yay, queen. Now, now Anne obviously saw the political motivations behind Louis's romantic <laughs> gesture. He, and by extension France, uh, didn't want Anne to run off and... and marry someone else and give Brittany to a foreign power or like yeah. an overmighty vassal, uh, which is something that she tried to do in the past. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we're not having that secret marriage. Also, Anne is like, I am not that much healthier than Joan, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> like Anne was physically frail after six full-term pregnancies and one miscarriage, um, yeah. which all led to nothing. She lost her kind of youthful plumpness. Uh, she was severely underweight. And uh, mm. she seemed older than her 21 years. Mm. But in the words of Kelly Clarkson, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Anne was now even more astute and assertive than she had been as a girl. Nice. So when Louis came to Anne asking for a hand, she responded that she would marry him. But. But. Yeah. <laughs> On the condition that his marriage to Joan was annulled within one year. He had one year to annul his marriage with Joan. If Louis' divorce took any longer than that, Anne would be released from the prenup that she made with Charles to marry his successor. And she would be free to marry someone else. So after throwing down that gauntlet, Anne then just peaced out, gave France (laughs) the middle finger, and went back to Brittany. (laughs) Love. The new king's like, oh. So now Anne gets to live it up in Brittany as a full-fledged adult ruler. She takes over the council. She gets her first taste of true power. Nice. Her courtiers and her people were overjoyed at her return. Yay. She immediately took charge. She replaced ministers who were being useless. She appointed and rewarded ones who had done well. All that kind of good rulership stuff. She also spent her time enjoying the untamed countryside of Brittany, visiting cities and churches that she'd been nostalgic for or for all of her time in France. Hmm. And uh, she did a huge tour of Brittany, visiting even remote places that she hadn't visited when she was a child. Nice. And I imagine this change of scenery uh, and this constant activity was probably hugely beneficial to her mental and physical health. Especially because she wasn't pregnant <laughs> for once. Yeah, body could f- her body had time to recover. Exactly. But the sweet single life lasted eight months. Oh no. Because that's how long it took for Louis to Getting win on. his lawsuit against Joan, get the annulment. Joan did fight to stay Queen of France. And jo- Joan was actually, yeah. despite her physical, what was termed a deformity at the time, um, yeah. so she was sort of hunchbacked and limped and had this weird face that people were like, Ugh. um, she was very intelligent. Yeah. And, uh, Joan fought to, to keep her place as the queen of France. Good on her. Um, Can't blame her for that. 
But the king is backed by Pope Alexander VI, the Borgia Pope. Uh, yeah. um, and he's able to give a dispensation saying the marriage is invalid because Louis uh, didn't properly consent to it when it happened. Also, there was no proof of consummation either. And Alexander then further issued another dispensation that Louis was free to marry Anne, which was necessary because they were first cousins once removed. Oh God, worse. Yeah. And being a woman of her word, Anne reluctantly welcomed Louis XII into Nantes. He came to visit her in Brittany. And they were married in Nantes on the 7th of January, 1499. And what's the age difference between them? It's not as, well, uh, it's about 10 years. About 10 years. Okay. Louis is slightly older than than Charles was. Okay, not as bad as... Than Charles would have been, I guess, if he was still alive. So with this... Anne becomes the only woman in all of history to have been married to two different French kings. Wow. I'm not sure how happy she was about that fact. And she was even going to have a second coronation. But what? the coronation was delayed because she became pregnant almost instantly. Oh. <laughs> Back in the saddle. Saddle <laughs> myrtle. So Anne still has a hard road ahead of her. But I think mm-hmm. we should leave her story here for part one. Okay. And finish up her life story in part two where we'll focus on her second time as queen for rating her and deciding whether she'll be in the VIP box. Woo! So, Liza, what do you think of Anne so far? Yeah, like, she's had to deal with the punches and try to make the best of the situation that she's no control over. She's put up with a lot of... Oh, yeah. I especially love how she's like, I'm going to give you a one-year deadline. It sucked it didn't work in the end. But, you know... Good on her for trying. Yeah. But it threw it yeah. threw Louis into a real panic. <laughs> it was a really stressful yeah. time for him. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Relaxing time for her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she's and she's over in Britney, like, what is that? Vacay. Yeah. I mean it wasn't a vacay. She was working very hard. She was Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing really yeah. well as the Duchess. Yeah. And she body was actually there. Getting... Yeah. Eh, liking her. Interesting. Yeah, Anne is definitely the sort of person who I feel like doctors today would be like, you shouldn't be having children. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna die. Although I, I will say Anne doesn't die for for childbirth wow. related reasons. Uh, oh my god, it's a horse. Just to, not horse related reasons either. <gasps> we'll yeah, get to it. Shocking. But that's for part two. Now, oh, didn't you have that, that little Facebook message that you were gonna read out? <laughs> oh, I was going to read. Oh, yeah, I got a nice little message. Where was that? So, we're, we're going to do a little correspondence corner. When people yeah. join the our Facebook group, we get you guys to answer a question. We had a very long like, response. Usually, most really people long. get like a one second <laughs> one, but. What's the first name of this person? Moses. Moses sent us a message. Yeah. So, it says. I have been listening to Brex Factor and I was around the Isabella France Queen Consort episode and I was like, huh, wonder what her family is like. And lo and behold, when I swiped right once and then swiped again, there pops up the Battle Royale podcast. I binged and re-listened to almost all of the episodes, just couldn't get myself to listen to the Merovingians. I'm sorry, the cute little monkey emoji. But to cut a long story short, it was a banter that you two had, and I'm able to easily learn history because I can attach a monarch to specific time in history, which makes it easier for me to remember. Anyway, hopes this suffices, and you guys are keeping well. Yeah. Yay! I thought that was a sweet little message. Yeah. Usually it's like you get like a one-liner, which I don't mind. I'm happy if you guys are doing a one-liner, but it was just very rare to see a huge paragraph chunk. So we welcome you to our Facebook. And if you guys have if you guys have nice stuff to say about the podcast, you can always leave a five-star review because <laughs> those really boost the algorithm for us. They they mean that more people will find the podcast. More people will experience Eliza-isms. Yes. But it's good to hear that this person was listening through X Factor and the algorithm was like, yeah. Battle Royale, because we're the same thing, but with France. Yeah. Speaking of our beautiful listeners, I've had a few messages lately on yeah. where our intro slash outro music is from. Most recently, Carson on WordPress asked this. 
I want to clarify that we did not make the music. (laughs) (laughs) We're not that skilled. No, I I got it from one of those free stock music uh, websites uh, when we first started. And embarrassingly, although I have a master's degree, uh, I've gone all this time without properly finding and accrediting the artist. So I apologize. Uh, uh, Consider this a a formal apology to Fashion. uh, That's fashion without the H. (laughs) Uh, the artist that made the track. So the full track is called Danse, and I've made sure that they're properly accredited now in the descriptions of all of our episodes. So you can click through in the link there, and you can see the full track, and you can also see everything else that that, uh, Fashion has made. So that's a little note there about the music. So thank you for the music, the songs we are singing. (laughs) (laughs) Good reference little ab reference at the end so um yeah so that is Anne of Brittany we hope you guys join us for part two of Anne of Brittany it's it's yes. only just getting started for Anne because Woo-hoo. we've got to get into a lot more Another stuff queen. Um, but hopefully this episode gave some good background about Brittany itself and all the politics that surrounds her first marriage basically yes so with that said that's going to be au revoir from me Goodbye from me and be careful on horses. Please be careful on horses. Just don't, just don't go near them. And make sure you duck appropriately if you're facing a low lintel.